0: Hey, and welcome to the show. Uh, my guest today is uh, an unusual guy in my life. We've known each other 20 years. We have had some conversations that if you had been listening to them, uh, if you've been listening on our phone call, uh, some days you would have thought we were just raving lunatics. Uh, other days you would have thought we couldn't stand each other. But through it all, uh, we have remained friends. We have remained what I consider to be close friends. And in 20 years, the weird thing about it is he and I have only been in the same room one time. Uh, it's just showing the power of online community and the friendships that can be developed. Uh, he has, is a pastor of Action Church in Canton, Georgia. He is also now, since this uh, interview was recorded a couple years ago, is now turned into entrepreneur. He does festivals. He does independent wrestling promotions. He's just—if you've ever seen the movie *The Greatest Showman* that's this guy. And I'm happy to call him my friend. His name is Gary Lamb. And I hope you'll enjoy our conversation.
1: That's crazy. I remember that. I didn't realize that's the only time we've been in the same room because we met on PCOM, right? Yeah. On pastors.com back in the day. Back in the day. There were some good guys on
0: that. Oh man. You were the black sheep. Remember that? That was your avatar?
1: yeah, you were. I uh, still talk to a lot of those guys on Facebook all the time.
0: I, you know, I, I talked to a few of them. Uh, that's back when you were in Iowa, right?
1: It was in Iowa, God. the church from hell, as I refer to it. At. <laughs> we're
0: we're gonna we're gonna get to that, but I, I just wanted to. Uh, most of the guys I interview on here, uh, I'm not necessarily friends with, or and I'm definitely not as close of friends as you and I are. And so, just in the in the uh, full disclosure category. Uh, this Gary and i are are very good friends, and this is a this is a uh interview I've thought a lot about doing, uh, but I wanted to wait uh a little while until I got better as an interviewer because your story is is really interesting for a lot of people, maybe even if they're not in the church world, just from um your story really tracks social media in in it many does. ways uh both negatively and positively, and so I thought it was a great story, but the main reason I wanted to have you on is uh, I love redemption stories, and and yours is one, and um, I don't know, maybe you have, and I just don't know it, but I don't know that you've ever had a chance to really kind of tell your side of the story as much as you wanted to, uh, but mainly I just wanted to to let guys here, especially guys in ministry, uh, sort of hear the dark side, we'll just call it that, of being "quote unquote" famous in ministry life, because you kind of were big fish in a were. small
1: pond. Big fish in a small pond. Well, I mean, you know, and and we'll get to
0: this later on, but you know, there for a while, you were kind of the next big thing. You you mm-hmm. were being sort of, we'll call it groom, for lack of a better term, to to kind of be that, and and that's very intoxicating to a lot of guys, especially a guy listening to this that's pastoring a church of 100 people or he just started a church and he's got 50 people and he's wondering if he's going to survive the next week or not. You know what I mean? Right. So uh, that's kind of what I wanted to do. But before we get into that, let's, um, let's kind of go back to the beginning. So
1: where'd you grow up, man? I grew up here in North Georgia in a little town called Dekula.
0: Where is Dekula?
1: Oh, it's in northeast Georgia. It's actually a big area now. It's right where the big mall of Georgia is. But when I grew up there, I'm graduating class of 144, so it wasn't that big. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> so you got, uh, do you have brothers or sisters?
1: I do. I have one brother and two sisters. I'm the oldest. What, uh, what are brothers and sisters into these days? Oh, one's a football coach and two sisters are stay-at-home moms. All right. And what your parents do? Uh, my dad has owned his own business his whole life. And um, he's in the electric supply business. Okay. And my mom has always been a stay-at-home mom. Really? Yeah, Man, she that's... cleaned houses, but I'm, at, you know, to supplement income a little bit growing up. And she actually works at a church now, but she never did that when I – she's probably worked at a church now for about 15 years, a very large church, um, huge church, actually. Okay. But she she didn't do that till after I graduated. Wow. So
0: she was just the – it was the uh... – leave-it-to-beaver kind of mom-at-home-with-the-kids
1: sort of thing with you growing up, right? Sort of. I mean, it was a, a step-parent situation, so there was always exes and kids coming and going and which who was living with who at the time, but for the most part, yes. So a little bit of chaos as a kid? A little bit of chaos, not too much. I mean, you know, so <laughs> seems normal to me. So one thing,
0: I can't remember where I heard this and maybe I just dreamt it. Did you play college football?
1: No, you must have dreamt that. Did you play football? I played football in high school.
0: Okay, I don't know why I thought you went to a little junior college and maybe tried to walk on or something. Anyway, mm-hmm. we'll just we'll just move on. So that sounds good. Though. We can go with that. I mean, you know, whatever. So you uh, you leave uh, you get you get graduated and and in church world we call it getting the call to ministry. Kind of mm-hmm. how did that happen for you?
1: Uh, I graduated and was hell on wheels. Um, heavily into drugs, heavily into alcohol, heavily into women. Um, was living with five other guys. There were six of us in a two-bedroom duplex. Okay. And uh, it was just party central. Um, one of my roommates ran the Boys and Girls Club. And so I would go up there and help him. <laughs> yeah. And um, when I was sober, I'd go up there and help him. And uh, there was a girl there, a uh, very Christian girl. Very um prim and proper. Yeah. And uh he made a bet with me fifty dollars that uh I couldn't get her to go on a date with me. And so um won that fifty dollars and ended up going to church with her. And um Hellfire and Brimstone, Independent, Fundamental, King James only Baptist Church. Women couldn't wear pants if the song wasn't twenty five years old, you couldn't sing it. <laughs> and um this little Cherokee Indian got up on stage and started screaming and hollering and telling me I was going to fry like bacon. And, uh, I gave my life to Christ and thought that was the greatest thing ever that he got to scream at people for a living. So that's what I wanted to do. And, um, that's what I did. Shortly after I announced my call to preach or whatever, he got leukemia. Okay. And so was out of the, out of the uh, pulpit for a couple of years. And so myself, along with a few other guys that were on staff there filled in over those couple of years um, believe it or not, even though he was kind of old school, he was very into church planning, Okay, starting churches. Um, I don't know if that had to do with insecurity. He didn't want you to go right down the road. So uh, he had a Hawaii. big heart. He had a heart for the Midwest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he was like, you ought to look at the Midwest. And uh, I was the college pastor at this church. I was over all the college students and everything. And so I just began to look at college towns in the Midwest. And Ames started with an A. And so I, it was the first town I looked at. Um Believe it or not, that was back when the internet was just starting to fire up, and I found this little group of seven people in Ames, Iowa, that wanted someone to come help them start a church. Ames, Iowa, is where Iowa State University is, and so I moved to Iowa now you're, and help these guys start You're married at this point, right? I'm married at this point, yes. You have kids yet when y'all move up? I have no kids at this point. Okay. So um, I move up there, and uh, we started independent, fundamental, King James only, pre-trib, Missionary minded, soul winning, door to door, Baptist church.
0: Do you have a bus and, ministry?
1: And do, we did a bus ministry. Of course we did. I was a bus king. And um, so I could, you know, get into a bus competition with me. I'll swallow goldfish with the best of them to get kids <laughs> on the bus. And uh, church grew pretty fast. I mean, not huge for Iowa. What's a different area, you know? Sure. And um, that's the only way I knew to do church. And I went on vacation. I hadn't been on vacation in years. And I went on vacation, and the first day on vacation, I got food poisoning. I mean, sick as a dog, food poisoning. thought mm-hmm. I'm going to die, food poisoning. And um, I told my wife at the time, I said, here's the deal, I, I can't do anything. I said, but we haven't been away in forever. I know you want to go out to the beach. You want to... I said, I noticed when we came in, we passed a Christian bookstore. I said, would you run over there and grab me some book where I can read while I'm laying in bed? Mm-hmm. Sick, you know what I mean? And uh, she came back with a book called The Purpose-Driven Church. Ah, she just grabbed cool. it off the shelf. And uh, so I read it, and as I'm reading it, I'm just connecting with it. Because, again, I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up doing the Christian thing. And I always had this weird knack of reaching people who didn't do church. Okay. And I used to joke that the other churches in, in town used to ought to bring me on staff because I'd win all these people to Jesus and uh, send them to their churches because I'd be like, you don't want to come to our church. It's weird. <laughs> Yeah, you're not going to fit in at our church, man. It's weird. (laughs) And um, I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. I read this book and uh, thought, man, this is the way church ought to be. So I got back from vacation, announced to my church, hey, we're dropping the name Baptist, and here's how we're going to do church starting next week. Oh, my gosh. And uh, I was probably about 24, 25 at the time. And so we went from two, three hundred people to about 30 in about three weeks.
0: <laughs> Reverse church plant. Church Reverse growth. church
1: growth. And um, But I knew that was the way to do church, and we stuck to it. I'd never seen a church like that. I didn't know churches like that existed. Mm-hmm. I just knew this is the way God had called us to do it. And um, I got it built up enough to where they could sustain a pastor. I had taken those people as far as I could take them with my limited knowledge of doing church that way. Mm-hmm. Um, they found another pastor I resigned they found another pastor best thing I, I joke the best thing ever having that church was I left that pastor's still there oh um, the really? church. Is, yeah church is still doing very well um, you know um, and I moved here um, I had family that lived in a county called Paulden County, Georgia
0: mm-hmm.
1: they said you ought to go check out this church here in our area it's called Westridge Church they're meeting at a high school gym and there's thousands of people okay. coming well, this is what
0: 98, so, 99 or something
1: 12 years ago 11 years ago yeah okay. So, um, so no, no, not no. 98. This is probably 2000. 2002, 2003 yeah. or something. Yeah. Cause I, I graduated in 94. So I'd been in Iowa for five years. Okay. So yeah. So I went down there, um, checked out this church and determined this is where I'm going to move. I'm going to get a full-time job and I'm just going to go to this pastor and I'm going to learn everything you can about doing church for the unchurched. Um, I met the pastor. It turns out they ended up hiring me to come on staff for the sole purpose of starting a church. They had a huge heart mm. for starting churches. They've probably started 60 to 70 churches now. We were their first. Wow. And they brought us in for a year internship program. Um, basically, my job day-to-day was to learn. All I did was learn. I met with church planners. I learned from them. I would sit in the executive meetings. I would see how they did set up and how they did tear down. And I had a year to plan starting my own church. And I thought I was going to go to Athens, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd always been in college ministry. So the plan was I was going to go to Athens, where the University of Georgia is, and start a church. Okay. And, um, came to a little town called Canton, Georgia to meet with a church planner and uh, fell in love I mean the minute I came here knew God had called me here I know that sounds weird knew God had called me here felt really weird though because I was meeting with this church planner who was here Yeah. and uh, in that meeting he informed me that he was shutting his church down <laughs> and so he was no longer going to be in the area and so I was like that's where we're going to start a church and so 11, 12 years ago I moved to Canton, Georgia and I started a church
0: wow yeah, and the name of the church you it changed. You you started it with it, one it, name.
1: We call, we called it Ridgestone Church at first. The church yeah. I was on staff at before was West Ridge. We kinda wanted to honor them with the name Ridge in our name. Right. Um that that was back when it was cool to name your churches after subdivisions. Yeah. Yeah, 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 so, yeah. So that sounded like a <laughs> sounded like a subdivision name. And so we called it Ridgestone. And y'all were and meeting in
0: our, a movie theater, right?
1: No, we met in a school the first year. So Ridgestone met in a school. Okay. It met a middle school on our one year anniversary. We had outgrown that school, and we moved to the movie theater, and we announced and we changed our name to Revolution Church.
0: That's kind of where you and—that's the point that, that our friendship sort of picked up steam. Because right. I remember several of us trying to talk you out of changing the name of the church. Right. Because conventional wisdom said, Dude, you've just spent a year establishing this name and getting known, and, and you were really getting right. traction. Why in the world would you change it? And And yeah. that was kind of my first— uh exposure to how hard-headed gary lamb can be when he makes his mind up about something
1: yeah we changed our <laughs> name in 14 days yeah I, I for the very first time that it was ever brought up to the time we announced it to the church it was 14 days
0: i, I remember that because i remember getting you emailed me the new logo you several you wanted a couple of us to look at the new logo and i remember thinking yeah it's a great logo but you dodo what are you thinking You know, and and, and at the time I was uh, at a really big church in Tuscaloosa and was kind of uh, a couple of buddies sort of knew who you were. And I was telling them and we were all sitting in my office going, man, Lamb's a dodo. What is he thinking? You know, and and, uh, uh, come to see that happen a few more times. But it's kind of at that point. I think when the church really blew up, I mean, because you guys went from like nothing to what eleven or twelve hundred in three years or something crazy like yeah, that. Yeah,
1: um, right. In, over the first five years we grew to about eleven hundred people, with yeah. a high day I think on an Easter Sunday of around twenty five hundred or so.
0: And and it's kind of at that time. By this point, you're 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 married and you've got kids at this point, but this is kind of when also social media begins to bubble just a little bit and the internet begins blogging. to bubble yeah and blogging and and you started it and this is kind of when the brand gary lamb started yeah you, you know what i mean because blogging
1: got very popular yeah and and, and you're a wide open guy you, you don't hold wide much
0: guy. much back and you were writing stuff in blogs and your church was going
1: big so man in the church world
0: you're a rock star
1: right Big fish in a small pond is what I tell everyone. It, because the church world is a very small world. Yes, I don't think people were used to someone. Blogs were huge. Then. there was, Facebook wasn't anything. Twitter hadn't quite taken off yet. Right. It was blogs. You would write a blog and then you would have 50, 60, 70, 80 comments on these blogs and just interaction. So now you're interacting with people all over the world. And what it did was is it brought like-minded people together. So, you know, I became very close with about 25 other church planners all over the country. Mm-hmm. But they were all very politically correct, and I was the loose cannon. I mean, I, I was the guy who'd give them to say our day sucked, and here's why it sucked. <laughs> and this sucks about ministry, and this is horrible. And, and people were freaked out to see a pastor be so honest. Yeah. And that's the only thing I knew because I would be like, this is the way the pastors are when I go to lunch with them. These are the way the pastors are when I'm <laughs> hanging out with them. <laughs> And so why don't we just be how we are all the time? And so my blog very much grew quickly and then right about a year into blogging, Twitter got on the scene and I very early adapted into Twitter and Twitter was huge. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, I very late adapted into Facebook, Mm -hmm. but I early adapted into blogging and early adapted into Twitter. So on Twitter, all of a sudden you got thousands and thousands of followers and you know, Twitter killed blogging, but Twitter connected you now. with was instant connection. And so became very famous, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. in my small world on social media. Of course, anybody can become famous on social media. You know what I mean? Well, but yeah.
0: yeah, but Gary, you said that it, it drew like-minded people, and that's not really true because, man, you draw, you draw haters like flies to a pile yeah. of crap. I mean, well, just, yeah, that was the
1: negative part of it. that's used just to focus on the positive part of it but i mean
0: that's that's part of your that was part of your fame again, for lack of a better term because um you have an innate ability to piss church people off yes and and sometimes it's intentional, but people yes. don't understand that while it is intentional, you have a grand there's a grand scheme behind it. I mean, I know right. you well enough to know that, that, that there was things because you also, you also had this uh, great marketing ability and you made some commercials back then and they got online that were uh, bumpers for uh, coming sermons here. And the ones I always, the one I always remember is you had Santa Claus, y'all were doing a Christmas one and there was like Santa Claus jumping up and dancing in the
1: aisles of the movie theater with their butt to the camera we were doing we couldn't do christmas eve services at the movie theater cuz christmas eve is a huge time for movies right our city hall in our town is the old first baptist church so they had an auditorium so we were moving our christmas eve services to the city hall for the night okay and so we did a commercial it was really just a commercial for our people it was a rap video to let them know we're moving to the city hall right. on christmas eve So we stuck it up on YouTube, and then our people started sharing it, and more people started sharing it. And then somehow it ended up on the front page of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and even to the point that it ended up on Hannity and Combs TV show. They were talking about this church down in Canton, Georgia that was rapping and shaking their butt because our our slogan at Christmas was, no ifs, ands, or buts, y'all ought to be at our Christmas Eve service. And um, that was my first dose ever of being around the power of viral marketing here was something that we didn't have 1 in. Yeah. and gave us more name recognition. People still to this day talk about that video and that was 10 years ago.
0: Yeah, I mean that but I think that was again you sort of uh understood the possibilities of it and how to turn it in. But I think what we all began, we didn't, none of us knew back then the dark side of it. Right. Right. We only, we only knew the positive side and, and you're almost, your life story is almost, um, we could take it as a test case and teach it in college about be careful what you wish for in social media kind of thing. You know what I mean? Because you, you get well known. But there's there's another side to it. I mean, because I've seen stuff written about you online, comments made to, about you online that are hilarious. I mean, I've seen people accuse you of all kinds of stuff that none are true. But, but how did you, because you're not normally a very restrained person. I mean, I've gotten phone calls right. from you when you've been screaming at me about something else that's going on. So how did you, did you have to learn not to fight back at all the the untrue things that were said online or the negative or talk about Uh, that?
1: I just got to the point in my life where, first of all, I'm a very insecure person. So anytime anyone says anything negative about me, it affects me in huge ways. A thousand people can leave my service and tell me the sermon was great. And the one person who tells me it's wrong, I, I dwell on that one person all day. So it was a huge thing for me, and really what it boiled down to was I got to the point in my life where my entire life, 24 hours a day, was consumed with critics and responding to critics. And I had to get to the point where I was so unhealthy that I had to get to the point where I just had to learn to ignore them and realize that I needed to be confident in what I felt called to do. And if people didn't like it, I know it sounds very cliche and very stupid, but haters are going to hate and if they're going to hate, they're going to hate. And also realize that I have very broad shoulders. And if they're hating on me, that's saving them from hating on someone else.
0: Yeah. I mean, cause I remember phone calls and emails I'd get from you back in the day. I mean, I've, I've gotten emails from you saying, Hey, if, if you find out I'm responding to a hater, I'm going to pay you 50 bucks or whatever. I mean, you just, <laughs> you, you just kind of went on this, this roller coaster, because the part that very few people know is kind of around this time there were also some very now very prominent pastors back then they were beginning to kind of blow up as well that you were hanging out with and having conversations with. And so there really was a, uh, the Gary Lamb show was growing, man. I mean, you're, you're growing.
1: I had the endorsement of some very prominent pastors. Right. They I'm were, not, we're of overseers. We won't name um,
0: names or whatever, but just, no.
1: But Some of those guys were my, I would have told you a couple of them were my best friends in the world. And so it really is once they put their stamp of approval on you, and the sky's the limit, you know.
0: Well, it is, and, and that's where I, I want to spend just a couple of minutes uh, helping that young guy, that 25-year-old church planner, who desires to be the next big thing. In, in church mm-hmm. ministry. You're one friend of mine uh that has had that and I also have another friend whom you know that I won't mention that also was kind of the same sort of situation being up in the in the in the big time as it were. But uh what would you say to that young guy, that twenty five year old who says, Man I wanna I wanna be as well known as as Gary Lamb was back in the day and and I wanna I wanna be that guy.
1: I would tell them even though they're not gonna listen <laughs> I I would tell them to do what they're called to do, love their community, love the people that they pastor, focus solely on that. And if God so chooses to allow your name to become a name, he'll allow it to become a name. Um, I feel like when I started Revolution, that was my goal. My goal was to love my community. My goal was to love the people I pastor. And notoriety started to come and I feel like it was of God. God brought that notoriety, and God gave me that influence. The problem is, my character couldn't sustain where my talent had taken me. Yeah. And so, as I started to get a little bit of that influence, a little bit of that notoriety, I quit focusing on my community, and quit focusing on doing what I was called to do, and began to focus my energy on how do I get more fame? How do I gain more influence? How do I gain more notoriety? How do I now build quote-unquote the Gary Lamb brand mm-hmm. and I think that's where I don't think that's where I know things went off track um but in the early days it wasn't that way people love to say that it started that way it didn't start that way it started on well, my face before God and feeling like God had called me to do something but again my talent far at exceeded what my character was
0: yeah and i can i can verify that again because i've known you from back in the day when watching you post things on pastors.com bitching and moaning about iowa and how awful things were and blah 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 and i was with you through the whole time i never will forget the first time uh you tried to tell me uh just call my assistant if you want to talk to me and I was right. like, No way. That ain't happening, yeah. dude. I've known you for too long. I'm not doing that. And and you fractured some relationships with guys with kind of that big time and mentality there for a while.
1: I did. I, I equate it back to David it when trying to put Saul's armor on. I'm running around we got a thousand people coming in the movie theater every week, but I'm running around with guys that got five and six thousand people coming. Yeah. And they're saying, Hey, if you want to get to this level, here's what you gotta do. Yeah. You gotta you need to cut up people don't have access to you bring assists to do everything you do this, you do that, you do ABC and one, two, three, if you do these steps, you're going to get to that next level. And so I begin to implement these policies and these procedures that, that weren't me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, even now, I, as a I pastor again, and our church is growing, I'm Gary, man, I'm out amongst the crowd mm-hmm. talking and I, I'm still the old Baptist at the back door, <laughs> shaking hands, kissing babies. Um, <laughs> You know, it's funny back in the day I had security. So it wasn't enough to have sec- I have security now at my church because of the type of people we reach. But you'd never know I have security. They're not walking around with me with their gun and their training day badge on. Um, oh, but back then it was. Dude, it was the- let's have security on each side of me and look like we're Billy Badass and you know, and, and present an image that's just not accurate because that's what rock stars do. I yelled at you
0: one time, you probably don't even remember me yelling at you about this, but it was uh, you had one of the most hideous coats made for like an Easter service that had some kind of almost like free bird on the back and there it was, was a, awesome I'm sure oh it was yeah right and uh, <laughs> you posted a picture of yourself on there and two of your security guys were standing on either side of you and I remember calling you saying something along the lines of who in the hell do you think you are right. right right and and what was always funny about it is you are one of the hardest people in the world to change their mind. I mentioned that earlier. And back then you thought that was a way to do it, but here's what people don't know. And I want people, I want the haters to hear this through all the times that you would tell me, Hey, call my assistant or whatever. Within two or three days, I'd get a text from you from your cell phone saying, Hey, I changed cell phone numbers. This is it. Right. I mean, you would always come back so that it kind of showed that, yeah, Gary's trying to be something that Gary's not, and he really can't do it in the long run. Right. And so that was always gave me great hope that, yeah, Gary's going to be okay. So let's move ahead into the in into the part of your story that all your haters, which I've never understood this. Your haters celebrated when, when you had your fall. And I've never understood yeah. a follower of Jesus celebrating when a brother falls, which is clearly and uh, explicitly taught against in scripture. I mean, over and over and over again. But um, I'll tell you, I'll set it up telling my side. Uh, I had moved back here to uh, Madison and uh, got in from church one day and uh, looked on and and got a, I had a text or, yeah, I had a text from somebody that just said, what's going on with Gary? And I was like, "I, I don't know what you're talking about. So I hit your blog and that's where I read that you had resigned. Mm -hmm. And I started trying to call you and text you. And kind of for the next month, Gary was underground as it came out that you had had an affair Mm -hmm. and had left the church.
1: So I I know you don't want to dwell on that. I don't either, but just. No, it is what it is. Uh, The church was about five years old. I had neglected my marriage for five years trying to build my kingdom. Um, Workaholic. 12, 16, 20-hour days, come home, go to sleep, go back and do it again seven days a week. I neglected my marriage. Uh, My God was the church, and uh, my wife at the time, her God, was our kids. And so we very much moved into a roommate situation. Um, Really no excuses. I I didn't work on my marriage. I went through an assistant change. My longtime assistant, who's actually my assistant now, um, here at Action Church, um, had—she said she quit— I, she says I fired her. I say she quit. <laughs> it's probably both.
0: You probably, probably tried. Both. Yeah. She brought, you probably fired her and she said, screw you. I quit. But anyway, yeah,
1: I hired a, another lady <laughs> as my assistant, um, let down lots of my guards that I had put up in my life because at the end of the day, guards don't mean anything. If your heart's not in the right place, guardrails are just something you can jump over. <laughs> so uh, they might, they might slow you down. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of like a security system on your house, security system. Keep an honest man honest. Uh, That's a good point. And so uh, she came to me one time talking about the struggles in her marriage. And for the first time ever in my life, I talked about the struggles in mine, made that fatal. I can go back and tell you the fatal mistake I made where everything changed. For the first time I looked at her, I laughed and I joked and said, boy, under different circumstances, we'd have made a good team. Oh, and man. that opened that Pandora's box. And, and I did. I had an extramarital affair and destroyed my marriage and destroyed my name. And I didn't destroy the church. They're thriving today. Mm-hmm. But I definitely destroyed the church at that time and uh, went through some of the darkest days. It was one of those things that I had lived my life online and through social media. And so therefore I got to live the negative online too. I kind of felt like I was the first public fall from grace in the day of social media. Well, so
0: especially the first fall from grace from somebody who used social media to build themselves up. Exactly.
1: And so it became open access to attack and laugh and mock and watch my every move. And then for the rumors to get 10,000 times bigger than they ever were. I used to tell people, I I still tell people, I said, there's enough rumors in my life that are true. It amazes me all the made up ones, (laughs) you know, there's enough stuff you actually did. Yeah. There's enough stuff I've actually done that'll keep you busy all day long. (laughs) And so I went through the darkest days of my life at 33 years old, went from pastoring a fast growing church that where everybody knew me to living in someone's basement. And, um, it, it was horrible, but, I wouldn't really trade any of it for anything in the world to be where I am today. Wow, that seems
0: like an extremely high price to pay,
1: Gary. It is an extremely high price to pay, but uh, when you're as extremely hard-headed and egotistical as I was, it takes an extremely high price to pay to open your eyes. I, I look back now, and maybe early on, something could have been done, but at that point that I was in, I was so in the flesh and so into my own ego. I'm not sure there's anything anyone could have done to snap me out of it.
0: Some of us um, tried. It didn't work.
1: Yeah, I, was, <laughs> I, I can't describe the ego. The ego was so huge that I justified my sin as God's allowing me to do this. I justified my sin that I'm going to get up on my stage. I'm going to announce this. My people are going to give me a standing ovation because they understand that. But that's how sin works, man. Sin del- pollutes and twists and messes up your mind to where you justify the sin in your life. Mm-hmm. I, I look back now, it, it almost, it brings goosebumps. It's it's a scary feeling to know you were that controlled by sin. Not that I'm still not controlled by sin, but at that time in my life, That controlled by such sinful nature and so far from God at that time operating in the flesh, yet I was leading people. And actually leading people by church standards in probably the most successful time of my ministry. My last Sunday at the church, we baptized 167 people. So in the midst of sin and still seeing life change, that just shows that God uses who He wants to use.
0: It is, and, and... It, it was. It was. It's interesting to me in the in the fallout of all of that. And this is the part. And you and know, I have talked about this before. I, there are there are people who still will write ugly things about Gary and say he did he had an affair and he did this and he did this. And I wonder at what point or what did what did Gary have to do to show that he was really sorry. That he was really repentant. You know what I mean? Because so many people, uh, so many people in the church world, uh, Christians especially, have this idea in their head that if someone commits a really big sin, like having an affair, he has to do A, B, and C before we know he's truly sorry. Right. You know, because then what you did, and I know you and I spent several phone calls talking about this, and me yelling at you and And you laughing at me, saying, "I'm gonna do it anyway is when you decided uh when you kind of got back on your feet and things started going, and you said you were going to start another church in Canton.
1: Mm-hmm. well,
0: that's like in church world, the most unrepentant screw you thing a fallen pastor can do
1: yeah um, right I feel called I feel called to Canton. I've never made bones about that. God called me to this city. God has different callings on different men's life. I tell people all the time, I know that God called me to this city more than He called me to Action Church. I feel that Action Church, or Revolution Church at the time, is the most effective way for me to impact this city. Mm-hmm. So that's what I do. But my calling is this city. And I wanted to leave this city, and God would not allow me to leave this city. Um, that had been the easy thing to go do. I had pastors tell me, you can get back in ministry but you need to go somewhere else and start. I, even the next town up, there's a town 15 minutes north of us called Jasper. And people said, go to Jasper. Just go 15 minutes away. Mm-hmm. And God called me here. I had sweat equity here. And I wanted people to see a story of redemption. I wanted, someone to, I wanted this community to see. I never shied away from what I did. Probably to a fault I didn't shy away from it. Um, yeah. I, I took ownership of it. I said I was wrong. I asked for forgiveness when the opportunities have risen for me to ask for forgiveness. But I wanted people to say, but this, that God of second chances that I preach about, this is his second chances. And it's funny, six and a half years, almost seven years later, I have more influence in this city than I've ever had. I have more influence in the lives of unchurched people in this community than I ever had. I have no influence in the church world, but I, but I'm not called to the church world. I'm called to Canton. And People, even those, there's no one here that doesn't know my story, but they respect the fact that I stayed here. Some of my biggest critics have come to me and said, well, we would never sit in your church again, but we respect the fact that you took ownership, you stayed, and, and you've restored your reputation. I had pastor after pastor tell me, you'll never accomplish the second time what you said at the first time. It never happens. I would say I'm more successful in my calling now than I've ever been my calling. I am in my sweet spot of life now because I stayed here and I allowed God to redeem me in this city for people to see it.
0: Yeah, I think what happened, I think part of it was um, your history and your ego was so big that people still paint you with that same brush. Sure. It was going to take a long time. So that meant when you uh, you started Action Church in Canton, to them, they took it as, well, that's just Gary thumbing his nose saying, screw you. I can do whatever I want to because I'm Gary freaking Lamb.
1: Right. And, and it wasn't that. It was really more Gary saying, this is what I feel called to do.
0: Oh, and and, um, and, and I can verify that in, in phone conversations. You kept telling me over and over again, yeah, I know you're right, but I'm called to Canton.
1: I am. And, and it, you know, it's, it's everybody has their reasons. He did it for money. I had started my own business. I was making more money than I had ever made in my life. I didn't do it for the money. I didn't do it. Yeah, you opened a roofing company, right? I, I did. Well, Insurance adjusting on roofing. You know, <laughs> never had done anything roofing in my life. Wouldn't don't even know how to put a roof on. But um, I know don't I like sell. heights. And don't, yeah, I was scared of that. That was always my stick. I said, man, if I can sell a roof without getting on the roof, I've done pretty good. I'd show up <laughs> to do roofs and flip-flops and um, <laughs> talk them into uh, letting me put a roof on. And uh, I, I made more money than I'd ever made in my life. So I didn't need the money. I didn't need the headache. I didn't need the abuse, but I felt like God had called me here. And I, I had set three criteria for that of starting another church. I said, first of all, I had to have a job that paid my bills. Not That wasn't the church. Right. I said uh, my old church had to have a new pastor. They took forever, in my opinion, to find a new pastor. Mm-hmm. So I was never going to—as as their search went on and on, I knew that, had I started something, more people would have followed me over with them not having a pastor. Mm-hmm. And I said, a group has to approach me. I'm not just going to start something. There has to be a group that approaches me. So I had a group of 13 people approach me, and we simply, I simply said, we're not starting a church. I said, we'll start a Bible study. Mm-hmm. and We started meeting in a hotel as a Bible study and going through Nehemiah. And I'm uh, talking about what could be and what should be. Um, we outgrew that. We went to the YMCA. Um, we met there for a little while. So many people from my previous church called and threatened to pull their membership from the YMCA. If the YMCA continued to let me meet there, that the YMCA threw us out. Wow. And so we then met on Sunday nights at the art center in downtown here. It's the old Methodist church. And, um, then one week we had a guy show up and he said, you know, I play guitar and sing. And I said, Oh, we're not a church man. <laughs> and so where's the Bible study. Then about three weeks later, I let them sing a couple of songs. Now, all of a sudden, you got a song and you got a sermon. For lack of a better word, you're a church. Yeah. And then you're like, what are we going to do with the kids? They're getting on our nerves in the Bible study. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, well, let's put them in the back. We'll have a kids' area. And somehow we just became a church. <laughs> and um, I told those people, I said, my, my previous church is here. and The way they do church is phenomenal and they do it great. And they're called here. I said, so if we're just going to restart a revolution church, then let's just save ourselves some effort and not do that. I said, but let's move to the center of town, to the poorest part of town, and let's serve people. And um, that's what we did, and everybody was all gang for that. We had about 30 people that moved down here with us. And again, in about four weeks, we had about 11 people, because it sounds good to reach people to you have homeless drunks walking into your service. Mm-hmm. Or you, have, um, you come in your building. We rented this old storefront. That I had never been in a building before. I'd always been portable. And I thought the city would allow me to move in there in a couple of weeks. And they had condemned the building. So we had to meet in the parking lot for six months.
0: In the middle and of Georgia bring, summer.
1: In the yeah, From July to December. there was From the middle <laughs> of summer to the point where we had to bring out blankets to cover up to stay warm. Um, it was insane. Um, and people were not down with that but yet man new people kept coming in over and over and and that's what we are now we're the church in the city for the city and I know that sounds cliche but that's what we are and we are i think every church has a different component of being the body of Christ and we are definitely the hands and the feet for our community the go get dirty crowd and it's ugly and messy and um fits me really good do you, do you think the uh
0: your childhood and and hell raising days prepared you to like this kind of ministry?
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, my biological dad, I've only met him once since I was about six. He's an addict. Um, my stepdad who raised me, who is my real dad, and, and I mean, I consider my real dad, is 30-year clean addict. I've been around addicts my entire life. I've been around messy people my entire life. I've been around broken people my entire life. And for whatever reason... That's who I reach. And mm-hmm. I don't mean this in an arrogant or cocky way, but I connect with blue-collar, unchurched people mm-hmm. as good as anybody out there. And I, I'm like a magnet. They just get, they they, draw, they come in, and they get plugged in, and they God works in their lives, and I'm the conduit for whatever reason for God to work. And it's amazing the crazy, insane life change we see in some very rough people.
0: Well, I think one of the reasons you connect with addicts is you are one, Gary. I mean, I think yep, I've always probably. thought you have an addictive personality.
1: Yeah, whatever I'm into, I'm into 100%. Look, i just never been crazy enough to let it be drugs or alcohol too much. Yeah, but so, I mean, I it's
0: just like you said earlier that one of the reasons that your marriage fell apart, your first marriage fell apart, was that your God was the church. Yeah, And and I even made a note of that because I, I wanted to cycle back to that people that aren't in church world who aren't pastors or, or, whoever don't understand, or maybe they've never thought about the fact that that could even be the case for a
1: pastor, but it's actually right.
0: pretty, it's actually, uh, it, it happens more often than,
1: than you would think. Yeah. I think it's actually one of the downfalls of social media in the church. It used to be back in the day that you went to your town and you felt called to plant a church or you felt called to pastor a church and you had two or 300 people there and you were doing a good job. And you were focused on what you were doing called. Now, the problem is you go into a town and you start a church and you draw two or 300 people and you're focused on your mission, but you're not focused on your mission because you see the guy on Twitter that's two towns over that's got 12, 12 or 1300 people and you feel like a failure. Mm-hmm. Or you see the latest and greatest videos this church posted and you know their band is the comparison game because of social media has made church insanely. Unbalanced, And then we brought so many business principles into the church, and we turned the church into a business. And there is a business aspect, I understand, and I'm not ignorant of that. But we've, we've moved away from the Bible, and we've, brought in, we've turned the church into a business. So therefore, when we bring in business principles, we're going to set our standards by business standards. And so nickels and noses is how we judge success. How big was the offering and how many people showed up? Well, and, and, I would, and I would add
0: one more to that, and then how many did you baptize? I mean, how many scalps you got on the wall? Yeah, if you're Baptist. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's it, Gary. I mean, that was yeah. the reason you got famous when you did was because you had a lot of people showing up, and you were baptizing a lot of people.
1: Right. We were Southern Baptist. That church was a Southern Baptist church, and the Georgia Baptist Convention loved us. I mean, loved us, because our numbers were impressive.
0: Yeah, they, they, they were, in fact— uh, uh, my favorite Gary Lamb story, and I'm going to go ahead and tell it, and Gary's not going to be happy about this, but that's all right. Uh, you were speaking at a church planning conference, I think down in Orlando or somewhere, and, and you called and told me you did this afterwards, and I just going. and I remember telling you, Gary, dude, quit being a jerk, but you, you did this talk about church planning, and you were, to- you were focusing on, I think, being mean about the vision. Staying focused on what it is, right? And and your kind of drop the mic moment was you looked at the group and said, "You be mean about the vision, and if I hear that you're not, I'm gonna come. I'm gonna come kick your ass." And yeah. you walked off the stage, right? Well, see that was that was part of the the Gary persona that had built up, but underneath all of that persona was still a desire to reach people.
1: Always wanted to reach people. Never ever ever wanted to stop reaching people um even in the midst of the ego in the midst of the craziness reaching people with talk about being an act it's the greatest drug i've ever done and and so the rush of taking someone who doesn't know christ and watching christ transform them and to know you had a small part in that ha is it's the greatest drug ever it's the greatest high ever and um
0: so so that's how you get addicted. That's how the church becomes your God. So if there's a guy out there or a young, or people struck guys struggling with that, how have you avoided action church becoming your God?
1: Um, the first thing that I did was as much as I, I respect and love and I'm able to learn from these people. I don't follow any of the big time pastors on social media. um, we win five people to Jesus on Sunday morning. I want to celebrate that, and not feel like a failure because I saw this guy won 150 to the Lord. Right? You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, I want to rejoice that we had ever how many we had Sunday, and then I get online and see this guy had 15 times more than we had. I mean, so I cut those out. I, I, I let that quit being my standard. What other pastors were doing? Um, I'm very open to letting people speak into my life now. Um, I have people that at any time, I, and for us, it's it's a group of elders here. Several of the elders know me from a previous life. As our church has got bigger and we've got older, not all of them know me from my previous life anymore. But they have a right to come to me, speaking to me. Um, they know they have that right. Um, and then I think at the end of the day, I'm 40 years old. I'm fixing to be 40. <clears throat> Being 100% secure... In my calling, mm. I know that I know that I know that I know that I know what I'm called to do. Mm. And I know the call of action church. And it's funny, we'll get church planners coming. I'm the OG now, man. I'm the old guy. I'm the original gangster. <laughs> you know what I mean? So no <laughs> one calls me much anymore. Um, it's funny that 40 can, or 39 can be old in the church planning world. But guys will call me and want to bring their teams down. And I almost talk them out of it now. And I'm just like, you're more than welcome to come, but you need to understand, man, we don't do anything good. We don't do anything well. Our production is horrible. Our chairs don't match. Our building is old. You're you're not going to learn anything based on what you want to do, but this is who we're called to be, and we're Mm -hmm. proud of it. And being secure in who I am, knowing what I'm called to do. I think too many guys don't know what they're called to do, And so they're adopting Ed Young or Judah Smith or, you know, Mark Driscoll or whoever the buzz guy. I don't even know. I'm so out of the loop. I don't even know who the buzz guys are. But instead of trying to be them, figuring out who they are and realizing no matter what, I'm not changing. David said I should not be moved. This is our vision. The vision's not changing. I don't care what the latest and greatest fad is, what the latest and greatest trend is. We're called to reach these people in our community, and that's our focus 100% of the time. So cutting off the comparison game has been huge for me, getting accountability in my life, and then just knowing who I'm called to be.
0: Yeah, and I think that's uh, that's a blueprint that any guy can take and be successful with, whether he's a pastor or not. You know, yeah. the the accountability part is, is huge, um, but it's it's good to hear that. And and I appreciate you being open with this, because I know this is not a topic you necessarily are thrilled to bring up all the time, uh, your fall and now the redemption story. But I thought the the redemption story was a strong enough one that I wanted, I wanted guys to hear. Um, Uh, and
1: I want to do something
0: that, that God gets bragged on for.
1: Yeah. And a big element of my life too is, is the church isn't my life anymore. I'm very active. I'm an entrepreneur to a fault, so I'm very active in things outside of the church. The reality is as much as I love my church and it's it's growing it, it's not a forty hour a week job most pastors waste more time than they know what to do with so I'm able to have an outlet for me some guys it's golf, some guys it's hunting, some guys it's whatever mm-hmm. motorcycles for me it's starting things yeah so I'm very active in the business world too to the point where my eventual goal is not to take a salary from the church. I want one of my businesses to be able to support me and I can do the church because I dig it. <laughs> you know what I mean?
0: That's pretty cool. All right. So. Two, two questions. And and we'll start finding an end spot to this. First question is this, who taught you the most about being a man and what did they teach you?
1: Oh, who taught me the most about being a man? Well, it would probably have to be my stepdad, my dad. Um, he taught me that, A man mans up and takes his responsibility. He married my mom and he took care of me and my sister, even though he was not our biological dad. And we would have never known any different. To this day, treats us as an equal, loves us, and did what's right, you know, by that. Honestly, other than him, I don't have a lot of men influences in my life, you know. So I would would have to say my stepdad just showing me how to take care and how to love when you didn't have to love.
0: Does that does the fact that you don't have a lot of male influences in your life? Uh, do you do you do you have a a desire to provide that for other guys that maybe don't have it?
1: I'm a very poor mentor, so um, I do have that desire. I'm very poor at it. Um, Why do you say you're poor at it? sounds really arrogant because I, I, I've I, I battled for years. I'm a horrible coach. I'm horrible at teaching guys. Um, and, and, and hear my heart. This, I'm not comparing myself to this at all. But I read an article one time about why Hall of Fame coaches, uh, Hall, of Fame, Hall of Fame players very rarely make it as coaches. And the gist of the article was for these Hall of Fame guys, everything just came natural to them. They don't know why they did certain things. So to come along to a person who doesn't get that, I don't – preaching and building a church and even rebounding after my fall. I mean like it was never an option to me. You know what I mean? I don't know the 10 steps I took to restore myself. Does that make sense? I don't know the 10 steps I took to build a so when a guy comes to me and he wants those things, they just came natural to me because I'm a very positive person and a very motivated person. So I, it doesn't translate to me when a guy's not that. So it doesn't translate good for me to coach them because it just came to me naturally. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily understand teaching someone something that doesn't come to them because I don't know how I did it. Does that make sense yeah. without yeah, yeah, sounding yeah. super arrogant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that's fine. All right. I want to be a coach and – So many of my friends make great money being coaches. And then I meet with guys and just look at them and I'm like, God, you're an idiot. You didn't know that. Or why didn't you do this? And like, I'm just just not wired to be a coach or a mentor. All
0: right. Um, Last question. If I could uh, take the DeLorean from Back to the Future and pull it up there in front of Action Church and stick you in it and punch in your 18th birthday on mm-hmm. it and take you back and let you sit in front of 18 year old Gary Lamb, what would you tell him?
1: Uh, to learn all you can from everyone. I wish I could go back to when I was 18 and know what I know now about business. Um, I wish I, I I started my first business when I was 16 years old. And so I've started a lot of businesses and have finished very few of them. <laughs> so go back and tell him, stay the course till you can sell that business. And instead I would just employ them. I love to start things and I hate to maintain things. So I think that would be the biggest thing. I, if I knew now, if I knew then what I knew now about business, I'd be a multimillionaire.
0: <laughs> All right. We'll, uh, we'll, call it a, we'll call it a day on that one. Gary Lamb, my friend, this was fun. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. never a dull moment when Gary and I get together thanks to him uh, as always thanks for that conversation and the other ones that we've had over the years hope you enjoyed it I hope those of you who are in the North Georgia area and know Gary now have seen another side of him uh, I think this interview really revealed a side of him that a lot of us that are friends of his have seen Uh, not necessarily what some people online think of him, but be that as may Gary still my friend, he always will be my friend and I appreciate him so much. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Thanks for listening and we'll see you the next time.